اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم لا اقراح فی الدین کتبین الرشد من الغی فمن یکفر بالتاغوت و یؤمن باللہ فقد استمسک بالعروت الوتکا لنفسام لہا واللہ سمیعن علیم There should be no compulsion in religion. Surely right has become distinct from wrong. So whosoever refuses to be led by those who transgress and believes in Allah has surely grasped a strong handle which knows no breaking. And Allah is all hearing, all knowing. <clears throat> in commentary of this, Hazrat Khalifat al-Masih al-Abul r.a. one who explains that كَتَّبَيَّنَ الرُّشْتُ مِنَ الْغَيْءِ that right has become distinct from wrong. And in this regard, Huzur gives several different examples of how good and evil are made distinct within the teachings of Islam and how there are many different teachings where Islam emphasizes the doing good of goodness in a way that makes evil distinct. One of the examples Huzur gives is the drinking of alcohol. And he has said that this is something that in some ways is the mother of all evils. He gives an example that a shaks ek aurat par aashiq ho gaya usne kaha yani the lady said that wasil ki sharat mein is but ki parastish karo yani wasil ki sharat mein is but ki parastish karo phir khawan ko qatl kar do aur sharab pee lo usne kaha ke ek sharab peena maan leta hu baaki bahut khufnaak gunah ke afal main na karunga jab sharab pee to phir dusri cheezon ka bhi murtakib ho gaya He gives the example that there was a man who fell in love with a woman and that woman said that in order to be with me I place three conditions. One is that you must worship this idol. You must become an idol worshiper. The other is that you must murder my husband. And the third is that you must drink liquor. He said that the first two are very dangerous sins and I cannot bring myself to do them, but I can drink liquor. And after having drank liquor, then he began idol worship and he also killed her husband. It became easy for him. So this shows that at times there are some things that a person does which open the doors for many other sins on that person. And so for this reason, Islam has made right distinct from wrong. Now Islam has also forbidden many sins and des- described them as kabair, those which are great sins. And Allah Ta'ala has said that if you abstain from the greater sins, then Allah Ta'ala will forgive you of the smaller ones. So this is an example of one of those. That if a person is able to abstain from one particular wrong, then it closes the door for so many other wrongs on that person. And if a person is able to make a good decision at one point in his life, whereas he decides to abstain from, uh, or he decides to do a certain good deed, then many other doors of goodness are opened on him. This is a point that Hazur describes later under the subject of angels of Allah as well. Now, the drinking of alcohol is something that, of course, within Muslim society, we are not familiar with. But we can imagine what people must feel like when they have this as a normal part of their society. Now, many times people ask that, how is it that you as Muslims are able to have fun when you're not even able to drink? And the answer that I always give is that when a person begins to take drugs, whether it's marijuana or whether it's alcohol or any other thing, then they begin to become reliant on that drug just to have fun. And they're not able to imagine a majlis, a sitting or a gathering where they can have fun without that substance. Whether it's getting together for a football game or anything, to have to imagine that gathering without beer, without alcohol, it seems like a dry environment, something where there is no fun. 
And so as a result, a person can only have fun where their concept of fun and enjoyment becomes linked to the use of that substance. And so enjoyment becomes dependent on a substance. It becomes substance dependent. And here a person's capacity for enjoyment gets affected as well. Where they become so reliant on that particular type of fun that their ability to enjoy life without that substance becomes inhibited. So the ultimate result is that a person who is pure of these substances is able to enjoy just as much of the pleasures of life without any substance. In fact, what ends up happening is that people who are dependent, although they are able to enjoy an artificial high in the beginning, but a time comes when, in order to feel the same happiness that you or I feel, the same enjoyment and the excitement that we feel in our gatherings when we're together with our friends or our family or whatever it is, these people have to take drugs just to be able to get up to that same level. So this is the dependency that it creates. Then also, it is something that deprives a person of their human dignity. For us, since we are in a society and we are in a, a culture within Ahmadiyyat where we can say where we are raised by Muslims and by Ahmadis, so it is incomprehensible for us to imagine our own parents or someone who we respect being in an inebriated state, being in a drunken state. It's a very disgraceful condition that reduces the respect that another person has for that individual. But we should imagine that there are people in our society who see their own parents, who see their own fathers, who are drunk and lose capacity of their senses, who are in a disgraced condition in front of them. So then, on a fundamental level, what respect can a person have left for that person in their heart? It deprives a person of that aspect of respect that exists in a parent and child relationship. So this uh, also spills over into the parts where Islam has taught respect for elders and respect for parents. That to be in a state of inebriation is something that is disgraceful even within our own selves, but then to be in that state in front of others is something that is even more disgraceful. And as Hazur has described, when a person is in that state, then they can be convinced to do things that otherwise they would consider inconceivable and they would never imagine doing. <clears throat> Huzur describes also under these points of, um, uh, uh, that are described in this verse that مَنْ يَكْفُرْ بِالطَّاغُوتِ وَيُؤْمِنْ بِاللَّهِ That whoever rejects the evil ones and believes in Allah Almighty. He describes how in order to do this truly, it is necessary to believe and act on the motivations that the Malaikatullah place within our hearts. Here, just as a point of uh, semantics, the word of kufr is used. And it is said that all believers are kuffar. But they are not kuffar of Allah Almighty, but they are kuffar of the ta'gut. So what this shows is that in the Quranic terminology and in Islamic terminology, the word kafir is a word that only carries meaning when it is defined or implied as to what is being disbelieved in. So this is a point of clarity that we can point out on in during our debates on the subject of kufr. You know, when we interact with non-Ahmadi Muslims on this subject, in this century they have come to see the concept of takfir in a very black and white way. Whereas according to the terminologies of the Holy Qur'an and the use of the Holy Qur'an and of the ahadith and what is found in Mufradat Imam Raghib and other dictionaries of classical Arabic and the way that these terminologies were used in classical Arabic, there is a great deal of nuance to it. It is in fact an innovation of this century of the jahalat of this century to see the term of kufr as being a black and white terminology and seeing takfir as being a black and white issue. Kafir simply means one who disbelieves. And it can be a compliment in one context, an insult or a, or a, or a, a condemnation in another context. 
So kufr billah is a condemnation, but kufr bittawut is a compliment. So kufr is simply disbelief. Until we know what is being disbelieved in, we cannot conclude what the nature of that disbelief is. It is meaningless by itself. Now when we come to the subject of kufr in the way in which Jamaat Ahmadiyya has used it, in the way in which Hazrat Masih and the Khulafa have used it, it is within this nuance. When someone is called a kafir, if Hazrat Masih referred to someone as a kafir, or the Khulafa have referred to someone as a kafir, then out of the jahalat of this black and white approach, non-Ahmadi Muslims raise arms and say that, how is it possible to call another Muslim a kafir? Even though kafir by itself doesn't mean anything, the question is, what is that person doing kufr of? Is it kufr bittawut? In that case, every believer is a kafir. Is it kufr billah? Because that is a person who is a mushrik. If it is kufr bil rasul, then it is a person who is a non-Muslim who is a believer in God. That would be someone who is not a mushrik, but is someone who is a believer in God, but is a, perhaps a Jew or a Unitarian Christian or whatever it is. If a person disbelieves in Hazrat Masih, he is a kufr of a nabi of the promised Messiah, but he is still a believer in Allah Almighty. So a person can be a kafir bin rasul but still have iman billah. A person can be a kafir bin nabi and still have iman in the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. A person can be a kafir in a certain verse, in a certain teaching of the Holy Quran, in certain aspects of the teachings of Islam but still have belief in the kalama and in the principles of Islam. So when the terminology of kafir is something that applies and is as broad as the object of this, of this word, as, the, as whatever it is that this word is applying to, then to imagine or to state that kufr is something that is black and white is sheer ignorance. It is an absurdity. It completely misses the point of the word. So when we look in the Holy Quran where it refers to kuffar, there is always an implication there. For example, when it speaks of kulya yohal kafirun, it says, O ye who disbelieve. But there is an implication as to which disbelievers it is referring to. At times it refers to disbelievers in Allah. At times it refers to disbelievers in the Holy Prophet At times it refers to disbelievers in Hazrat Isa while those who believed in Hazrat Musa those who disbelieved in certain prophets of God. So the terminology of kufr is something that is relative and relevant uh, to, the, to the object of the word. Now, speaking about وَمَنْ يَكْفُرْ بِالتَّاغُوتِ وَيُؤْمِنْ of how a believer is one who establishes the strength of his relationship with Allah Almighty and disconnects himself from satanic influences and influences of those who are rebellious. Hazrat Khalifat al-Masih al-Abul one who explains the necessity of our developing a bond and a relationship with the Malaikatullah. And this is a subject that has some ambiguity to it because when we reflect on what it means, what the six articles of faith are, then we have clarity on most of them. We know what it means to believe in the books and to disbelieve in the books, believe in the prophets and disbelieve in the prophets. What consequence there is to believing in Allah Almighty and disbelieving in Allah Almighty. These are clearly defined. There are different levels of kufr. One thing makes a person a mushrik. The other one makes a person a disbeliever and a prophet. Another makes a person a disbeliever in a true book that Allah Ta'ala has sent, even if he believes in that prophet. But what difference does Iman bil Malaika make? What consequence is there to disbelieving in the angels of Allah Almighty? So this point is something that has more to do with spirituality and our living relationship with Allah Ta'ala. As we've gone over before, there are points that have to do with doctrines and other points that have to do with the sawwuf. And this is one that has more to do with the sawwuf. Hazrat Khalifatul Masih, Abul Razila, one who writes that many in umur par muddaton ghor ki, اور سوچا ہے اور ہر ایک شخص اپنے دل کی مختلف کیفیتوں 
اور حالتوں سے آگاہ ہے وہ دیکھتا ہے کہ کبھی اندر ہی اندر کسی خطرناک بدی کی تحریک ہو رہی ہے اور پھر پھر محسوس کرتا ہے کہ مان دل میں رکت اور نیکی کی تحریک کا اثر پاتا ہے یہ تحریکات نیک یا بد جو ہوتی ہیں بدوں کسی محرک کے تو ہو نہیں سکتی ہیں بس یہ وہی بات ہے جو میں نے ابھی کہی ہے کہ انسان کے دل کی طرف ملائکہ اور شیاطین نظر رکھتے ہیں بس ایمان بالملائکہ کی اصل غرض یہ ہے کہ ہر نیکی کی تحریک پر جو ملائکہ ہی کی طرف سے ہوتی ہے کبھی کسل اور کاہلی سے کام نہ لے اور فوراً اس پر اس پر عمل کرنے کو تیار ہو جائے اور توجہ کرے اگر ایسا نہ کرے گا تو پھر نیکی کی توفیق سے بتدریج محروم ہو جائے گا حضرت خلیفہ ابو رضی اللہ because if he fails to act on it then he slowly begins to sever his relationship with the angels of Allah Almighty and as a result he loses his capacity to be able to do good in this regard hazrat khalifatul masih alabul rizila one who also explained that the malaika are essentially the first stage by which the will of Allah Taala manifests itself an analogy of this is how in our physical body our thoughts communicate with our body but it doesn't happen directly First, our thoughts are things that exist in a consciousness that is indefinable. And that communicates with our mind. And it comes into something that is very refined, whether it is electrical currents or synapses or whatever it is. And then that communicates with nerve cells, which then go to something that is more coarse, into muscles, and then eventually it reaches the bones. So a person's most refined thoughts have no direct connection with the bones in their body, because the level of coarseness is very distant between them. But there is a process by which the command from our consciousness, our spiritual consciousness, which is our thoughts, descends to the point where we are able to move our bones. Our consciousness, which is our awareness of ourselves, is something is so refined that it is spiritual. But it is able to communicate with physicality, but there is a process. So this is an analogy for the way in which the will of Allah Ta'ala manifests itself in this world. That Allah Ta'ala as a being is the most refined. He is wara'ul wara'ah. And his will manifests itself in this world, but there is a process by which it manifests itself. And the Malaikatullah, the angels of Allah Almighty, are the first stage in the manifestation of that will. So although there is, we can say, a direct connection between our consciousness and the bones in our body, and with a single thought, immediately our bones will move according to the thoughts that we have that exist within our consciousness. But still there is a process. So by that analogy we can say, that the angels of Allah Almighty are like the synapses and the electrical currents that communicate from the, for, that are the first detectable stage where there is communication between consciousness and the physical realm and the physical body. So for a person to disbelieve or to not develop a relationship with the malaika is in a way a severing of that relationship. To believe in Allah Almighty, to be able to benefit from that belief means to also benefit from the process by which the command of Allah Ta'ala descends. If a person believes in Allah Almighty and rejects the prophets of God, then although he is believed in a consciousness behind the body, but since he has severed the connection by which that consciousness communicates with the body, that body becomes crippled and unable to act. 
unable to follow the will of that consciousness. So the angels of Allah Ta'ala are the messengers. The prophets of Allah Ta'ala are another means of the way by which the message of Allah Ta'ala is communicated to us. And belief in Allah Ta'ala will not benefit us if we sever the connection by which that Allah Ta'ala communicates to us. So belief in the prophets of God is one way by which we um, act according to the will of Allah Ta'ala. We become acquainted with the will of Allah Ta'ala and we learn how to act according to it. And malaikatullah is also a way. When it comes to the prophets of God, this is something that is more related to doctrines. It is necessary doctrinally to accept the prophets of God. And once we have accepted them, then we continue to benefit from their teachings. Then we establish a line of communication with Allah Ta'ala. Once a person severs that connection doctrinally, then he becomes disconnected from the message of Allah Ta'ala. But this is something that has to do with doctrine. It is a decision that a person makes once in his life in principle. And then he continues to act and benefit from that decision throughout his life. But belief in malaikatullah is something that is a belief that has to happen on a daily basis and at every moment. Because belief in the malaikatullah is the means by which a person communicates with Allah Ta'ala on a daily basis. And the way by which the tahrikat of Allah Ta'ala are communicated to that individual. So when a person disbelieves in the malaikatullah, then his living relationship with Allah Ta'ala is severed. And although he may have accepted the Prophet of God, and the messages have reached him in principle, and he continues to follow those messages on autopilot, but the nature of a living relationship with Allah Ta'ala is that that communication should continue. And he received guidance on a daily basis through the answering of his prayers from moment to moment. At times a person's prayers are answered by inshirah sadr by the opening of a person's heart towards an issue that is outside of his control. This is one of the signs of the acceptance of istikhara in many other ways. So for this belief in the malaikatullah is necessary and understanding the condition of our own hearts is necessary and believing in and accepting the tahrikat of the malaikatullah within our hearts is important to be able to spiritually progress. And so from this we can understand what kufr bil malaikatullah results in. So we know, for example, what kufr bil kutub results in, kufr bil anbiya results in. It results in being severed from the connection with the message that Allah Ta'ala has sent through His prophets. But now when we reflect on these points, hopefully we can have a clear idea of what the direct consequences of kufr bil malaika are. That belief in malaika has a direct benefit in our daily lives, and disbelief in malaikatullah has a direct consequence and a harm within our lives. Hazrat Khalifatul Masih Allah Razi Allah writes that this is the fact that when a person does the righteousness of the righteousness, then he doesn't get the power, time, and opportunity. If a person is at that time, then the righteousness of the righteousness of the righteousness of the righteousness is the righteousness of the righteousness of the righteousness of the righteousness اور پھر اس جماعت سے اعلیٰ ملائکہ کا تعلق بڑھنے لگتا ہے یہاں تک کہ اعلیٰ تعالیٰ کا قرب حاصل ہو جاتا ہے حضور explains that this is a firm reality that when a person um, wastes or ignores the motivation that an angel has put within his heart then he begins to lose the strength, the capacity, the time and the opportunity to be able to do that good deed this is something we should keep in mind. At times, there is a tahrik that comes within our hearts where our heart feels motivated. And it feels open to doing something that ordinarily we might consider a burden. We want to observe prayer. We want to observe nawafil. At times, we may feel a burden to observe those nawafil, but suddenly we feel a desire to do so. That is a time and a moment of kabuliyat dua 
At times a person feels a motivation and an inexplicable desire to offer financial sacrifices, whereas otherwise he may consider it a burden. At times he may see a dream and then he seems maybe confused as to what the message is. But then that dream is reinforced and it is not just the dream, but then there is a certainty that is placed in his heart that now this is the direction you must go in. The prayer you are offering has been accepted and now you must act in this way. It is not possible for you to act in any other way. So these are the signs of inshirah sadr But Huzur says that when a person ignores these things, then that opportunity doesn't come back. And not only does that opportunity get missed, but his capacity for a connection with the angels of Allah Almighty and his refined ability to understand the condition of his heart, he begins to be blinded to it and he begins to lose it. But if he is mindful of the condition of his heart, and if he develops a relationship with the angels of Allah Almighty by acting on all the good motivations that arise within his heart, then he begins to develop a stronger relationship by which the angels who are of a higher status begin to develop a connection with him and he gets closer to developing a relationship of nearness with Allah Almighty. The last point that we'll discuss today is... <clears throat> One point that Hazur has made, um, again, this is that righteousness and goodness has become distinct from evil. And Hazur has given many different angles of how it is that Islam teaches this. And one point that I thought to share has to do with the subject of tabligh uh, and how naturally when a person accepts the truth of someone in their heart, then the act of shahada carries a responsibility of conveying it to others. You know, Islam is refers to the five pillars of Islam. Iman refers to the six articles of a faith, but Islam is the five pillars of Islam. Iman is just faith, it is to believe in something. But Islam is to act on that faith and to and that it have an effect on our lives. Iman by itself does not mean anything if it's not made an effect on our lives. So if a person has just thoughts or beliefs but they are not supported by action then no human being would consider it worthy of any value an expression of loyalty or love to another human being is not worthy of anything if it is not backed up by actions or if it is betrayed so shahada is an expression of islam and when we bear witness ashhadu allah ilah when we bear witness to the existence of allah taala and the unity of allah taala and the truth of the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam then this carries an aspect of that uh, conveyance of that message. He says, Agar sachai se kisi insaan ko mana ho, hua ho, aur uske izhar se muzaika ho, to yaad rakho dil kamzor hai. Isi liye Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ne farmaya ke agar Allah ke asma par kamil yakin ho, aur uske rasoolon par, malaika par, aur kitabu aur anbiya par yakin ho, aur aisa hi us yakin mein uske nawab aur Allah ka kurb daakhil hai, to us yakin ka asar zuban par aata hai. اور وہ ایک لذت کے ساتھ کہہ اٹھتا ہے اشد اللہ اللہ وحد شریک محمد ویکنیسٹی And here we should ask ourselves that to what extent do we feel a sense of hesitation and shame in sharing our belief in Allah Almighty with our friends or with those who we know. 
the truth of the Holy Prophet the truth of Hazrat Masima the fact that we are fortunate to have an Imam in this age and that we have given bayth to a Khalifatul Masih who Allah Ta'ala has appointed in this world. So this is an aspect of muhasaba and the extent to which we find hesitation within our hearts, there we can remember these words of Hazrat Khalifatul Masih that yaad rakho dil kamzor hai that the heart is weak of such a person and diagnosing the weakness in our hearts is the first step if we ignore that weakness then we'll never be able to resolve it there's nothing wrong with accepting something that is wrong there is something wrong with denying something that is wrong so we should do a muhasaba of ourselves from this perspective and then seek to develop strength within our hearts when we understand that this is a symptom of weakness within our hearts, then we can try and address it by sharing this love that we have for Allah Almighty and His Messenger and Hazrat Masimah and His Khulafa and then conveying it to others. So with these points, we'll end today's daris. We have about three or four minutes until iftar. And so now we'll go to the Tair Hall. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala Ali Muhammad wa barik wa sallim inna ka hamidun majeed.